You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hello, I'm Stephanie Ruff. And I'm Aviva Nabeski. We're the hosts of the Dressage Today podcast, where you can find us talking about anything and everything dressage related. Our conversations span the world of dressage from leading riders to local level dressage heroes. We're talking training advice, showing tips, and sharing stories to inspire your own dressage journey. So tune in, then tack up. Welcome to the Dressage Today podcast, sponsored by Equithrive. In a little while, we are going to be talking to a trainer and instructor, Nancy Lavoie. But we are first going to talk about, or I guess I'm going to talk a little bit about, the latest happenings with my horse. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so some some listeners might know, many listeners probably don't know. I've been struggling with uh, Nadia and an eye infection that unfortunately took a turn for the worse. And we, despite a lot of effort, from many people, um, we weren't actually able to save her eye. The infection just kind of took over and we weren't able to save it. So she had her eye removed. Yeah. But let me tell you, as soon as she, the the day after her surgery, she was already feeling so much better that, you know, it made me realize that that was the right thing to do, you know, given this, given the circumstances. Um, so she did have her eye removed. She came through the surgery. Great. She actually recovered really well. It healed really, really well. And, um, you know, but it's kind of interesting now to work with Nadia's 18. So, you know, she's not old, but she's not young. It's very interesting now to work with a horse that I've had for eight years, but she now has this, you know, disability for lack mm-hmm. of a better term, I guess. So, um, you know, she's handled everything pretty well, uh, like turnout and all that. She's, she's doing great on turnout. She's doing great for her basic, you know, grooming and handling. But whenever I'm on her blind side, which by the way, is her left eye. So, mm. you know, and I do where we always, handle, yeah, where, where we, we handle do them. most of our handling, although yeah. I always make a point with all my horses can be handled equally from both sides and that sort of thing. So, um, but still just out of habit, you know, like where do you attach a halter on the left side? Where do you, you know, do up a bridle and stuff usually on the left side. Right. So, so much, so many things are made for you to handle a horse on, on that side. So it's, um, it's becoming a new, I am taking a new training path. Let's put it that way on, uh-huh. uh, you know, kind of working with a horse that, because I've, I've been around horses that have been blind in one eye or, well, I've known one that was totally blind, but I've been around numerous horses that were blind mm-hmm. in one eye, but they've been long established that way when I've come upon them, like they're completely used to it. So this is the first time I'm ever trying to do something with one who used to be able to see and and now she can't. You know, how long side. did you deal with the ulcer and how much vision did she lose over that period of time? Do you know? Well, the the ulcer, the original ulcer itself actually healed pretty quickly. But, um, but that actually went on for October, November, just over two months. So and she had we actually knew she had lost some vision already. Um, but 
So we knew even if we were able to save her eye, we knew she was going to be visually impaired. We didn't know how much vision she had lost, but we knew she had because her pupil was very constricted and we couldn't get it to to open back up normally again. So um, so she actually had that kind of and plus she had a cup over her eye and everything. So she she actually was adapting to this for a while, Um, you know. But now I'm trying to sort of start to do things with her again, like um, try to lunge her, try to, you know, do some tack, do some groundwork, things that when she had, when she was going through the infection and everything, I didn't do any of that kind of stuff with her. I hand grazed her. I just left her alone. You know, I don't Um, think people recognize sometimes how much eye pain affects every aspect of life. Yeah. And especially for horses, because, you know, they're prey animals and, you know, it's one thing when they don't have the vision at all. But when they're in pain, um, they're hypervigilant and then they can't see as well. And it's just it's really rough. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry that you're going through this and that she is, too. Yeah. The thing is, as you know, they do adjust. Yes. Yes. And she is, she is, um, I tell you, when I first turned her out the first day, oh, she mm-hmm. was just so happy because she had been in the stall for about two months between treatments and then recuperating. I yeah. didn't want to turn her out because she's not good out by herself, even in a small space. So to just, you know, f- kind of for her own safety sort of thing, she stayed and she was she stayed in the stall for a couple of months. Um, and then I just hand walked and hand grazed her. But that first day she finally got out. Oh, my goodness. She must have rolled for, you know, five minutes. She was so <laughs> happy to be out because she loves a good roll. And so she took full advantage of that. And so, yeah, so they definitely she is adjusting. And for a lot of things, she's doing very well. Um, she is reactive to sounds on a little reactive to unusual sounds on that side. Normal sounds, things she's used to, you know, are fine. But the other thing I've already noticed is that ear on her left side is in constant motion. It's constantly going, you know, which, which is understandable because it is now, it is now making up for the lack of sight on that side. So that ear is, is uh, really, is, is doing a lot of work. And so, yeah, yeah, and I talk to her a lot and everything. So, It'll be it, it's it's a new journey. It's an un, kind of an unexpected one, and not one that I would necessarily pick. No, no, not <laughs> but, at all. But horses will do that. They tend to put you on journeys that you don't plan for. So oh, yeah, here we are. You know, so we'll see. I'm just kind of working with we'll her and us, doing some ground stuff and keep us I've, up to date how she's yeah. doing because, as you said, she's not she's not old, but she's not young. And right, I know this has really put a wrench in 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 your hopes and dreams and yeah it's actually something we can talk a little bit with nancy about how you get through some of these changes and yeah 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 because horses keep us humble they they do and and they they, do not stick to the plan not even a little bit (laughs) no 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 but no yeah so so uh for anybody out there going through an unexpected plan you're not alone no For this month's Ask the L question, we've got a talking question about from paths, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talking about paths. For those on the showing path or the you know training path, we have a question from Leslie. And Leslie wants you, Aviva, to talk about shoulder in. 
Okay. Um, she says when she's showing, when she is shown, she sometimes has too much angle, not enough angle, too much flexion, not enough flexion. <laughs> so yes. she she's a little confused by, you know, how maybe how a judge views it. And um, the, the it's judge's a really, perspective. really, really tough question. You yeah. know, I... I I've been thinking a lot about how to answer this. And, you know, I could talk for literally hours about <laughs> shoulder in, but nobody wants to listen to me talk for hours about shoulder in. So I'm going to try to be a little bit concise. Um, the first thing that I did was I pulled up the definition um, because I think that's useful. Um, and the definition is this exercise is performed in collected trot. The horse is ridden. Whoops, my. There we go. The horse is ridden with a slight but uniform bend around the inside leg of the rider, maintaining a cadence at a constant angle of approximately 30 degrees. So does that make a lot of sense? Um, kind of. So when I think about shoulder in, I have a tendency to think about what the purpose of the movement is. Um, and the purpose of the movement is actually to um, improve the quality of the trot by increasing engagement. So when I go to ask for shoulder in, what I want to feel is that the outside hip drops a little bit um, so that the horse is now carrying. Because the only way that a horse can be on three tracks with the hind legs tracking straight is if the horse truly sits. So I've sat with some judges and it's been really interesting. The shoulder in should improve the quality of your trot. The definition includes the word cadence. Cadence doesn't occur until second level. Second level is collection. Collection creates cadence. Okay. Um, People get really tangled up in what a shoulder in is. And there are, in some ways, it's easier to talk about what shoulder in isn't <laughs> um, because so many mistakes in shoulder in. So the first thing that you get, and, and Leslie, this is, this is to your question, is, you know, neck bend only. And that means that the horse is still straight on the rail, but the neck has come in. And that means that the rider is pulling on the inside rein and they're not using their seat and their leg aids because shoulder in honestly is all about your seat and your leg aids. There's very little rein involved. So that's the neck bend thing. Then I see a lot of what I call butt to wall leg yield <laughs> where the horse is not dropping that outside hip. They're moving crooked with the hind legs on the rail and their body is straight, but their shoulders are in. <laughs> right. Um, and, and that is, you know, too much angle, not enough bend. And that's, you know, again, that's a leg yield. And that means, again, that you're not really riding the collection, the sit. So a couple of, couple of little things to think about. In the shoulder in, the hind legs should track straight on the rail. The front end comes off the rail, but only about 30 degrees, which if you if you look at that angle is really not very much. If you think about it, let's say we're talking about a shoulder in left. 
It means that the right front leg is stepping into the path of the left hind leg. Think about how close your horse moves his hind feet together. That's not coming off the rail very much, is it? Right. Yeah. The horse's nose shouldn't go past the point of the horse's shoulder. So if your horse is really looking in, that's neck bend. So a couple little things to play with to think about whether or not you're actually riding a shoulder in. Um, Flex your horse to the outside. If you take up a little bit of outside rein, let go a little bit of inside rein, and your horse immediately Velcros to the wall, (laughs) you know that you've been riding with your reins, not with your leg and your seat aids, right? Right. Can you ride a step of half pass? Because if your horse is straight behind, he should be able to step over the inside hind leg. If he's crooked, he comes off the rail at an angle. Mm-hmm. So those are the little tests that you can do. Um, having trying to ride shoulder in or learn shoulder in without mirrors is really tough. Um, so yeah. I recommend, and I and I know Leslie, and I know that you have mirrors. Um, but for those of you who don't have mirrors, um, see if you can get some because it really helps. Um, and then the last thing that I'm going to say is the dirty little secret. <laughs> and the dirty little secret is that if you are sitting at sea and you are riding a shoulder in, or if you are sitting at sea watching a shoulder in, and the person rides a textbook 30 degree angle shoulder in, it is going to look like it's not enough bend. Right. So the dirty little secret is correct shoulder in is 30 degrees. Show ring shoulder in is probably just a little bit more than that. But in order to do that well, you really have to have the engagement and the uphill balance and the cadence to make it look good. Yeah. So that's my that's my in a nutshell, not hours worth of information on shoulder in. And I hope I hope that was helpful. It's a real I think it's really one of the toughest movements. It Um, is. I think it's it's hard to understand. It's hard to execute. Um, there are so many moving parts to it. And, you know, the other thing to remember is that it's, you know, horses are dynamic. They are always moving. And right. so we have to be dynamic in our aids as well. And particularly in the shoulder in, you may end up having to do a little dance where you feel, you know, a little feel of outside seat bone back to to feel like you're riding a little bit of of um, half pass to make sure that the hind legs are straight, but then you may need a little bit of inside seat bone to to push to ask the shoulders to come up a little bit, um, and then maybe you need to do the outside seat bone again, and then maybe you need to slide your thigh forward a little bit on the outside to push the shoulders, but then get that outside hip back so that you don't lose the hind legs. So and and just because you ride it one and you may have to ride it slightly differently in each direction because absolutely you know. and the horses tend to be you know on one side they are supple right and on the other side they are not yeah and on one side you're probably getting from the judge too much bend and on the other you're getting too much angle right and that makes perfect sense and then you're the opposite <laughs> going Exa- in the yeah. haunches yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that exactly. will also affect yep. your, your half pass as you move up to third yep. level. So yeah. excellent question. Really complicated question. Um, <laughs> get a trainer. 
have have somebody <laughs> sit at sea to help you um, so that you can start to feel when it's right, because it is yeah. it is it is really tough. And also it's an, it's an outstanding question. Yeah. And if you're at a show now, I'm not saying go stand behind the judge, but, you know, watch some shoulder ins from different angles from, you know, yep behind the view at sea or even, you know, along the rails to kind of see that. And you can visually see the difference between, you know, the view straight on of a shoulder in and a view from sea um, or yes. not even at a show if somebody's schooling or something like that. But, yep. you know, to get that perspective to kind of better understand what the judge is seeing, it's very interesting to kind of to kind of watch it, watch somebody else do it as Absolutely. well. You know, it was interesting. I think it was Janet Foy posted an article recently about um, video. And, uh, you know, she talked about the different angles of video right. and that most video tends to be sort of from above where judges are not above the horse. Right. And that the video changes throughout the movement. And, you know, she talked about judging something and then going back and watching, you know, the published video. Yeah. And that, you know, her scores changed a little bit because the perspective is different. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I know that, you know, watching some video of, you know, someone riding like a, a, a half pass. And if you sit at sea, you can see things. If you're sitting on the corners it's totally different. And right. if you're it sitting, so, if you're watching video that doesn't have a point of reference, like you can't see the letters, then everything right. is up for grabs. Yeah. So, you know, the dirty little secret of judging is that, you know, it's perspective. It's, it's yeah. you know, a lot like we talk about the halt. And if you sit at sea, you can see straightness, but you can't see whether the horse is square. Exactly. If you're sitting at E or B, you can see square, but right. you can't necessarily see straightness. Right. So the comments that you get from judges from C and from E can be very, very different. Be, and the scores exactly. can vary a little bit just yeah. on the basis of that perspective. And that is really true for the shoulder in. Very, very much. All right. Good. Good. Good question. Good answer. Thank you. You're <laughs> welcome. And if anybody else has any burning questions they would like Aviva to take a stab at, just feel free to reach out to us on social media. And then when we come back, we'll have our conversation with Nancy Lavoy. Trying to choose the right supplements for the right horses often feels like a chore. And you have enough chores as it is. Fortunately, there's Equithrive, whose mission is to make this whole nutrition equation easier on you and much more beneficial to your horses. Equithrive's lineup of pelleted supplements are developed with care, backed by science, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Not to mention Picky Eater approved. Whether you need advanced joint care for your equine athlete, plus hoof, gut, or metabolic support, Equithrive is your one-stop shop for feed tub fortification. So stop wasting your time and money. Do your horses and yourself a favor and visit Equithrive.com. Use promo code Dressage today to get 20% off your first order, plus free and fast shipping nationwide. Nancy Later Lavoy is a lifelong equestrian with a special love for dressage. In addition to being an accomplished competitor through the Grand Prix level and a USDF bronze, silver, and gold medalist, Nancy is an accomplished trainer, clinician, and life coach. 
After many years of training and managing top performance horses, Nancy has taken an avid interest in performance and mindset coaching. She is certified through Tony Robbins Core 100 and Mind Valley's Evercoach program as a life coach. Nancy also became certified in mindfulness to bring more awareness and perspective to her training. In addition to attending many high-performance seminars, Nancy has completed Dr. Zach Bush's Intrinsic Health Program. She is passionate not only about proper training and horse care, but the overall quality of life of her clients and their horses. The shift from full-time competitor to performance coach, although recent, is bringing Nancy a tremendous amount of fulfillment, and her clients continue to succeed not only at the shows, but in the arena of life. Nancy lives with her husband, Matthew, in Ringe, New Hampshire. Well, Nancy, I want to welcome you to the Dressage Today podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm very excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. Absolutely. And for people who maybe aren't familiar with you, you have been you have been around for a while. You've been doing this for a few years, uh, but uh -oh. could you? T <laughs> a few. It's her nice way of saying you're old. No, <laughs> no. Yes. You're experienced. You've had you have lots of dressage experience. But for people who maybe aren't familiar with you, could you just tell us a little bit about your dressage background? Absolutely. I actually was really lucky. My parents were horse people. And so I grew up really uh, right from the beginning with horses and very um, excited to have experience in all different aspects of riding. We, yeah. you know, so I was jumping and doing some eventing a little bit with the hunters and we did competitive trail riding. We did everything. And then I got stuck on dressage in high school. But I'm very appreciative of the earlier years because it taught me a lot about fitness and not just being in a box. Right. Um, you know, jumping and going cross country and having that <laughs> feeling, uh, I think, did help me to have a better feel in my riding. However... It did take me a little while to also get myself, you know, in that structure with, um, you know, the, the position and the, the giving of the aids. So in right. the beginning, we did not have really classical trained instructors. And I, but I did go ride through the levels in a fairly successful way, but I always felt like something was missing. And I was very lucky uh, as I was coming into being 30 to meet and have the opportunity to work with Mr. Schumacher and his writer, Ellen Bonche, in Germany. Mm -hmm. And that really transformed my approach and you know my riding mm -hmm. the hard part was I had really spent my whole life riding and so going through that rebuilding of my skills and and having to acknowledge that on the inside that I you know even though I was <laughs> doing it and I was riding in the Grand Prix I had to build different skills yeah so that was humbling hard. <laughs> yeah it was it was part of 
Um, I would say it, it took me a lot longer to start looking for the mindset training, but that was part of my learning that mindset is really important. Right. Uh, because to make the best out of your lessons, you have to be the learner. This is true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That that's you know, mindset number one is we need to take the take that position of the learner and not the knower. And even though I was very you know, had been, you know, in a show way successful all the way through the Grand Prix level, um, I needed to step back and become the learner. And that it was that that was the beginning of my looking for other tools. Yeah. And then I also uh, more recently had the opportunity to work with Tristan Tucker uh, because I had some courses that were not um, really accepting the training very well. And I I started getting more and more horses that were troubled. And he was very influential in in helping me to be more creative in my approach. And I, so that, that was really fun. And, yeah. and he and I are, you know, good friends. And we have a lot of fun talking about, you know, all the the different ways that we can approach the training, which really brings you to that. Not only being uh, a learner, but, you know, that growth mindset that we're right. always, you know, we're always in, in evolution. Yeah, we're always learning. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you've also taught for a number of years. Uh, and what is it that you enjoy about teaching others? I think that the the most rewarding is is bringing these partnerships together. And yeah. there is absolutely for me and I know for many, many people, there's just nothing like that feeling when you're really connected and flowing with your horse. Yeah. It, that, you, you know, we get on every day just, you know, looking for those minutes of um, when nothing else matters, right? right. When there's just mm-hmm. nobody can invade your space. The, the, the space that you have between you and your horse. And I think that my gift of being able to connect with my horses is something that I really want to share with other people. Because when you go to the horse shows and we see a lot of people that started riding because they love horses and because they're desperately looking for that connection, but they, they get lost somehow in the pressure of it and um, the outside distractions. So, you know, I really feel that my place as an as a teacher is really bringing people back to that and then being able to give them the tools that they need from themselves, not to have to need me anymore, but be able (laughs) to find it on their own. Right. (laughs) Well, then this is probably a little bit of a loaded question, I suppose. Uh, How have you seen the dressage world change over the years? Mm. That is a very interesting question. I, I really Slightly love it, loaded. though. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. There's so many things that are improved, yeah. right? So 
the quality of horses that we're all riding, you know, has just changed tremendously. Yeah. The ability to find knowledge has improved, right? I mean, that's true. You know, I grew up in New England and it, it wasn't easy to find trainers. We had one person riding in the Grand Prix when I was growing up in, uh, in this area. Wow. One person. <laughs> and, you know, then it became three and then it became seven. Uh, but, you know, if you really think about it now, the fact that we can have these remote lessons, you know, I can have somebody in Europe watching me riding. Right. Uh, you know, on the Internet now, I can get that <laughs> instruction that I desperately need. We get that input. This, I think, has improved the, the knowledge base quite a bit. You know, people are, are able to choose they're training differently. Yeah. Uh, the on the other side, I think we've gotten a little bit away from some of the teaching of the masters. And I think when I was starting to compete, you know, I not starting with my second life competing <laughs> when my when I was getting my help from uh, in Germany. We really would go to the horse show, and then when we came home, we would work on the things that were not working at the horse show, and we would go back to those basics, and we would go back to that training, and you know how it feels when you get in the ring and things are working or they're not. Mm -hmm. Now I feel that if people are getting good points in the ring, then they take that and they keep working that way at home. And mm. this always brings you to a point of confusion. And, you know, my, my students know, I say that point of no, no return where you're just surviving the movement. You're not yeah. actually influencing the movement. Mm -hmm. And I think that in that way, um, whether it's at the lower levels or the upper levels, it's all the same. It, people are judging their training more on the horse show and the points and not yeah. on the feeling and the honesty in the, in the movements and the influence that they can give their horses. And I think we need to return a bit more back to the teaching of the masters and the, the teaching of the circle of energy and that, you know, that influence, that true influence that we can have over our horses, um, bodies in a relaxed and conscious way. Right. Do you think it's also a reflection of the judging that people are surviving the movements and getting the scores without doing things classically and correctly so that people feel like, well, if it's good enough to get me a seven or an eight, it was good enough? You know, I really think that this is a, also a super question and it's a big topic right now. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, it's important. We absolutely have to talk about it. I, 
I don't think that we can blame it all on the judges. I think that it would be helpful if we as trainers and writers could be honest about what's going on and you know not enter into that if if they gave me an aid it doesn't matter it does matter it, ultimately yeah. these the horses are uh struggling and they are not able to mentally comprehend what's being asked of them. And so over time, we see horses not look, look at these top riders. They're Isabel. You, when is she retiring her horses? They're 18, 19 years old. We're seeing those, the horses being ridden from pressure, being retired at eight and nine, 10 years old in the field. Right. Some of them catastrophically um, not even be able to be retired. So the longevity of the horses and that growing in the training, letting your horse be seven or eight years old and green and learning <laughs> and not have to mm -hmm. do everything at maximum, right? Yeah. That yeah. doesn't have to do. We have a, a very limited belief in the United States that if a judge sees your horse and believes it to be a certain percentage that you can never bring those points up. And so don't show it unless it's going maximum. And this is not, in my opinion, that's not correct. And it's not how they, they, they do it on a high level in other countries. Right. When you take a horse that's green in the Grand Prix, it's green in the Grand Prix. You don't ride it at maximum for every movement. You help connect the dots a little bit. You do it at a little bit less... Um, you know, less flamboyant movement and just really being able to um, help the horse through the test. And then as it gets stronger and more understanding about what's being asked, then you grow it into more and more extravagance. But it doesn't have to start that way. And judges, they can, they can figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> right? They can, <laughs> they can give you today a mm -hmm. 68 and you know, six months from now or 74 and two years from now, that 80%, they're not going right. to keep in mind the fact that you were training the horse. Uh, ultimately, for me, the, the trainers, we need to take responsibility and not blame the judges all the time. Right. <laughs> but I do think it would be great if, um, you know, they could be honest about really seeing what's happening in the moment. And right. what's happening on that day, I do think that's important, but I also think it's human human nature to be wrapped up in in that in the show of it yeah right definitely I do one thing that has happened over the years, and when I was at the trainers um dressage trainers forum in Holland. And we, we really went over like looking at it, trainers, riders, and judges all together. And one thing that one place that I think that the trainers were really asking for is let it be what it is. 
when we're sitting here and we're watching this tape and we're seeing that that halt that wasn't square, that had a trot step going in, the horse then backed up and that, you know, people are giving it a nine and a 10 and let it be the five that it is. You know, the trainers were really saying that that's, that's okay. Yeah. And the judges were, you know, defending a little bit their place. And I do think that we all need to get out of that defending and just get together on what's going to make it better. Right. How can we all work together to to create a sport that that is treating, you know, the riders, the the horses and the judges fairly? That's a that's a simple problem, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but conversations, right? It's all about conversations. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. And so switching gears a little bit you you talked a little bit about the the coaching and that sort of thing but how did you get introduced to the idea of life coaching i think my you know my interest in it definitely started with what being in germany and just sitting ringside and watching uh the even at the big competitions, you know, sitting at the world championships, watching the different riders, their approach to the training, what, what made somebody successful? What were they doing behind the scenes? You know, that was what I really loved about being uh, in, in Europe was uh, being able to be on in the back, you know, with our horses and watching all these riders, the, what made them be able to keep their relaxation and and really be um, conscious of what they were doing, even in the warm up, even in the in the ring, as opposed to the other ones that would you know look like they were going to win everything in the warm up, but then they would get in the ring and you know not not be themselves, and so that. That probably started my my curiosity about it. Right. And then um I I think that I had for us a family tragedy. Um uh, and I had to really look at life a little bit different and I wanted to heal myself in that. Mm. And my husband, uh, be there for him. Uh, and so it sent me down this path of, you know, going and learning from Tony Robbins and, you know, doing some of these things, to exploring myself better and how could I right. be a better mm-hmm. person all around. Um, which then I was like, okay, well, that's not only for my personal life. I can really help people in my professional life by being a, you know, better me. Um, and then giving them some of these tools that I'm learning so that I, I did do the life coaching coaching courses to be able to also help other people. Yeah. And it was, um, and I just, I just 
dove into it. I I really love it. <laughs> and it's done a lot for my relationships personally and um and professionally. The that just o- opening up and exploring more about why we do things the way we do them. <laughs> <laughs> um and then, yeah, so that um, translates into having different perspective when I'm teaching and being yeah. more, being able to be more understanding of where people are in their mindset so that I can put myself a little in their shoes and then influence them to make better writing decisions, make better, you know, in the moment and overall, you know, week after week, month after month in their, your, their goal setting and, um, you know, being able to achieve their goals and not, you know, none of the self-sabotage and things that we see, you know, we, we see it all the time. And I never, of course we would, I would sit back and I would watch and I'd be like, okay, well, that's too bad. Cause if they did this instead of that, they would be much farther along, but I would really never knew how to handle it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just t- teaching you writing skills. Like, I don't know that part of you. <laughs> like, I right. Can't, I can't, right. I could teach you to, you need to put your heels down and this is how you hold the reins and that's how you make a half halt. But the, the, you know, you just scratch your head. Uh, sometimes not just in a lesson, but just over a progression with a client, right? Like, why does she keep making those decisions? Um, they're they're not benefiting her. And right. I think so. This really helped me to um, understand a lot more about what's going on, independent just from making half halts. <laughs> right. I think that the relationship is something um, very unusual and personal between a riding trainer and her student. Um, as you said, it's, it's more than just how to do a half halt. It's, it's the, it's the feel, it's the interaction, it's the relationship and it's where the person is coming from to start to interact with their horse and what's blocking them um, from doing things well. And if you as the coach understand that, I think you can make a huge difference in the way that they ride. You're absolutely right. You're you're absolutely right. And just being, you know, able to find that pause in the lesson, being mm-hmm. able to look at it and understand a little bit more about human nature and that it's it's definitely uh, giving me more vocabulary. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then when, um, when, when you go through that some with the rider, do you see changes in the horses and what kind of changes do you see there? Oh, I love that. That's, that is the entire reason for me doing <laughs> that. It's all about the it, horse. <laughs> it, well, that I I really want to be a voice for the horses, right? right? The mm-hmm. um that they are so amazing in their 
desire to work with us. If you really think about it, in five seconds, they could tell us, I have no interest in this and I'm leaving. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And yet they don't. And they just Mm -hmm. try so hard to do everything that we want. And so helping people find the, learn about the language of the horse and learn what is my horse actually trying to tell me right now? Not just what am I trying to tell him, right? but what's he trying to tell me? And how, how can I be curious about how my horse learns? And can I be curious about that conversation that can go back and forth? And then I can have influence in such a positive, um, such a positive way. So when people go from thinking my horse really doesn't want to do anything I want to do, like if they re- <laughs> they they are coming every day and my horse is always cranky like that and he never wants to do what I want and it's always like this and they can change into my horse is really trying to figure out what I'm trying to tell him to do. Right. Imagine how that lesson goes. How when it's the a whole horse, different ball game. Yeah. It just changes everything because the horse might make a mistake and then the rider's like, wait a minute. You know what? What did he think I said right then? What was I doing with my body at that moment? Oh, he is trying to figure it out. I just was sitting on the wrong side of the saddle. Or, right. mm-hmm. um, you know, I got tight and I never let go of that half halt. And he's really trying to hear what I'm saying. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm also not saying it exactly right. So I could improve me and then this whole thing could go forward instead of he doesn't want to do it anyway. So it doesn't matter how I do it. Yeah. And it changes. Horses don't make mistakes. (laughs) Right. We do. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's good. Definitely good to always, you know, think that we are, um, we're responsible and you know a lot of it is about us i do sometimes when people really think that way they take it in such a direction that the self-talk starts to be negative and then they um you know we gotta we have to keep things going in a positive way so if my horse is making a mistake because i'm not doing it right i want to turn that into a positive you know, I can do this half halt better, right? I can, the way that I'm riding and the, my ability at, on this day is good enough to explain to my horse what I want. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's a pretty profound reframing. <laughs> you, you, uh, the, right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, because I love it. Well, I have a lot of clients and they, they absolutely are exactly what you said. And I love that, you know, Hey, this is, it's my fault. I, you know, I didn't do it right, but that's not a good self-talk. Right. Instead it's how to, how can I do it better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I can, I can, I can tell my horse today what I want him or her to do. I can't yeah. do that. Yeah. I just, you know, I, I need to get my focus in that direction. 
Right. Right. That makes sense. But it is possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there are many writers out there who have show nerves or anxiety or maybe like a loss of confidence from a fall or just just I don't know, anxiety of an unknown origin, which is what I deal with most days. <laughs> so, so how do you, you know, what's, I know it's, it's a, it's a big subject, but what, what are maybe some simple suggestions that you have for people who maybe get nervous before a show or are trying to, um, you know, get some confidence back after having a bad experience or something like that? I have, uh, a whole, uh, I don't want to say a, a, a protocol that we go through, yeah, and that you know really needs to be practiced daily, not only when you're riding, right? Uh, but you know, really kind of shifting things. But the big, the biggest and most important thing is to learn how to breathe. <laughs> that is very important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely the most important thing. And people do not realize how little they breathe when things start to go wrong. Yeah. Or even in anticipation of things going wrong. Right. So my, <laughs> the, when you're not breathing correctly, you you go into your body goes into flight fright flight or freeze um it it just happens naturally it's in our makeup so what i encourage people to do is find a breathing technique that works for them yeah there are just so many out there and we we, when I'm coaching people, we explore those together so that I know that they really do it. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's so many out there, but one, simple ones are box breathing. And you can pick any count. And you can uh, breathe in for four and hold for four and breathe out for four and hold for four. And you do it in other times of the day just practicing it right and then as you feel yourself coming toward and not don't wait until you're already in the show ring but while you're tacking up while you're driving to the show you know when you're if you if it's if you simply get a little bit nervous at home while again while you're tacking up practice that box breathing and as you get into a more anxious situation, your body will start to learn to do the box breathing on its own. Mm. You won't even have to say it, but you have, it's important to practice at different times. Think about driving in traffic or if you're in the line for something and people are (laughs) uptight, how your shoulders come up and you hold your breath and you feel uncomfortable in that situation. That would be a time to do your box breathing. And yeah. you can do it. You can count to eight. You can do it as a rectangle. You can count for the breaths in and out longer and less time across the top and the bottom. 
that it's every it, every single person is different. So you're going to go out and you're going to start looking into breathing and this person is going to say, this is the way to do it. And there is no other way. No, that's the person. That's the way they do it. And that's what works for them. So I don't want anybody to feel pressured to breathe in a certain way. It's all about finding relaxation. (laughs) So find the counts that work for you. If it works to breathe in for eight and hold for two and breathe out for 10 and hold for four, this is also totally fine. But we need to find what works for us and what makes us feel most grounded and relaxed. Yeah. And when you do that, then your body, as your mind starts saying, you know, this is a very stressful situation. We're riding in the horse show. We're about to go down the center line and your mind starts going. Your body will start to take over and say, I got this. We do this at home all the time. We're fine. And it will start to behave. Why do you get nervous? Is your body doesn't do what you want it to do when you've got that cortisol and adrenaline in it. And you don't feel the same. Right. You don't feel the same in a horse show when you're warming up as you feel at home. You're not noticing your horse. Like how many times, you you know, I don't know what, what my horse was doing. I don't even know that horse. Why, why was it behaving mm-hmm. like that? Why was it feeling like that in the warm up? But your little things that would have made sense to you before you're missing because your muscles are tighter. Right. Yeah. And then you feel, then you get nervous because your horse isn't doing (laughs) what you want it to do. And then your horse gets nervous because you're nervous. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because it doesn't know who you are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We say, I don't know what horse I'm riding, but the horse doesn't know who the rider is. Yes. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. then what uh, what can we do to help quiet some of that mental chatter that goes on, you know, at the, like, like you were just talking about how that starts to build and everything? Um, is it just is it just focus on the breathing? Is it as simple as that? The breathing right around right away will calm your mind. Because your body will start to feel like somebody, you know. And then your horse will start to respond on your aids more the way you're used to. And then your mind will start to say, wait a minute, I do remember how to ride. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We yeah. have done this yeah. before. And so the mind, the talk, I, I do encourage people to work on their self-talk. It's not something you can, you really cannot just go to a show. And start dealing with your nerves. It's something no, we need start to before. do at home. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. We need to make certain practices and get to know, you know, ourselves. Get to know our triggers. Um, but I do, I do really, for myself, feel that when I start breathing and my body starts behaving, like it should then my horse starts listening i my mind relaxes automatically right and that's yeah. that's very little effort for a really big reward yeah true we don't have to make it more complicated 
<laughs> which we love to do. We love to make things oh, complicated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. But I do, you know, I also have, you know, more of a, you know, a step-by-step things that we do sure. at home that that yeah. will, you know, it, it can be more involved. But it also, yeah. you know, I really... Um, the last horse that I rode in the Grand Prix, I, when I first started taking her off the property, I, I couldn't feel my legs. Like mm. I was, um, she was one horse at home and right. a completely different horse at, uh, away from home. Right. The trailering was very upsetting for her. She did not get to wherever we were going to be riding, even if it was a, not a show, uh, she was not the same horse. And it reminded me of a horse that I had had that was, you know, really a problem. And so my, my body reverted, was triggered so Mm. badly by that. And just brought me back to something that had happened 15 years ago. And I had to, you know, I had to admit to my, like, and I had to go through this process. I had to create, you know, create it for myself and really work on it. And that was, even though it wasn't happening at home, I had to make the practices. And I can still remember the first day that I got away from home and got on her and I could feel my body. And it was so exciting. (laughs) and then you know then taking that and then taking that into the grand prix ring with her and even when she wasn't 100 percent, being able to be myself right being able to help her through those moments of stress being able to you know make the adjustments that i needed to make instead of getting that you know that freeze in your posture where all of a sudden, you know, your legs aren't moving and you can't make a flying change aid. You know, right. I, we have to, all riders need to, there's nobody out there that didn't feel like that before. It, you know, there's nobody out there that hasn't felt that. But the only way to get through it, and every trainer, every trainer you look at, everybody you watch in the, in the ring, they, they have all felt like that. Yeah. And I love the ones that are willing to talk about it. Yeah. You, they're really willing to talk about it because they connect better with their students and that understanding of like at this moment, I don't actually need to give you skill building. You know, you know how to mm-hmm. ask for a flying change. Right. But right. your body isn't listening to you yeah. right now. Yeah. So yeah. We need, you know, that's, I really, I really feel that when we talk as trainers that have had success in the ring, When we talk about not only the things that went well, but the things that didn't, it it helps. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, yeah. Well, the last the last question that we have for you is again kind of a little one. Yeah, just a little one. (laughs) Just a little one. Again, a big topic that we don't we don't necessarily expect anyone to have all the answers to. But um, these days, as we know, social media is can be challenging to put it mildly. Uh, So we were curious as to what you how you feel about the criticisms that are out there. And that's not necessarily about the 
abusive posts kind of things that we're seeing. I mean, that's a that's a different subject entirely. But it's more about what you were just saying, like somebody being willing to put out there when it's not necessarily picture perfect or or somebody just posting a photo or a video of something that gets a lot of slammed slammed is a nice word yeah um you know how do you what do you think of that and how it um how it can affect the the mindset of people who see this stuff all the time yeah it's it is an awesome this is an awesome (laughs) subject and i appreciate the question i it it's interesting i have been so when i sit on the sidelines for instance and i watch a warm up i have been every single person in that warm up in my through my life i have been the person scared unable to steer because i'm worried about you know running into somebody I have been the one that everybody was watching because my horse was so special and I was going to win the class. I've been the one that my horse wasn't doing anything I wanted it to. (laughs) And the the one who scattered all the other riders. Yes, I have been that person too. (laughs) Yep. I've been the beginner. Um, I've been the one that, you know, scared the beginners because I knew where I was going. You know, I, I look across the warm up and I can put myself in every single person's shoes. And I just invite people to do that. Right. It's, um, it's very easy to judge a picture or a video. And it's very easy to know what we don't want to do. Yeah. But finding the tools to actually act and do what we want to do needs to be our purpose. So that was very big for me is what, you know, really watching, knowing how the writer I wanted to be, not just skill level, but emotional stability um the ability to bounce back when things don't go right and that you know what is that what does that look like and how can i be that person as much of the time as possible and we're not always perfect (laughs) no and so when you take a snapshot of somebody in a bad moment or on a bad day that that doesn't mean that's their entire identity. Mm-mm. And I, I think that the people that are judging it aren't really being honest with themselves either. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, and we have to, the only way that our, our sport is going to get better is when everybody starts working together and talking together about you know what does that look like in america i really think it's necessary yeah um yeah i i think there's a big division um because of money a lot of it um between the you know the 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 levels of the riders not um 
make, you know, you can pick out a couple of people that are in big trouble right now, but you know, they're not the only people. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we all need to change the culture. Yeah. And it's going to ch- start from the inside. The, the, us little people, me, <laughs> as a little person, you know, you know, really being that voice of not just what we don't want to do, but how do we do it differently? Yeah. What do we need to do to do it differently? And that's why for me, the mindset is so important. This this coaching that I do also is giving my clients voices with their trainers to ask, be able to ask questions, to be able to be curious. How can we do this better? Right. I'm not saying that they're saying their, their, their trainers aren't right, but they are able to, to actually start influencing their relationships with their horses. And, and we, we, you know, people feel small because they don't, do stuff right, right? I'm an amateur. I might be a lawyer in my real life. I might be, you know, a high executive or, you know, an author or whatever I am in my life. And then I come and ride and I don't really know a lot about it. And so then I do, I try to pretend I know how to do it. Do I not have a voice? Do I, um, you know, just do everything what everybody tells me to do because they know better. Do I not do anything everybody tells me to do because <laughs> I should know better? You know, it's, it's and yeah. horses are horses. They're not tennis rackets. Yeah. Right. You know, so it's just different. You know, when you yeah. get angry with a tennis racket, your ball starts going all kind of places that you don't want it to go. And you go, well, I got to get some emotional control here. Um, your horses are, are different and people put a lot of the fault on the horse or, you know, the trainers can buy another horse or, you know, all of these kind of things. I just think that we, we need to all, all come together in the interest of the horses. Right. And, you know, the trainers, um, I love my young trainers that want to learn this now. I love them. Yeah. You know, that that's my biggest passion because the, I'm influencing them and they are influencing many. Right. Right. It, it, yeah. You know, it just, it, it, it goes to so many horses that way. And, uh, and some, I think we all need to, you know, there's a lot of great voices out there. Yeah. Um, there really are. And though we all we all need to keep building that community and the the other one will go away, (laughs) you know, don't fighting isn't going to make it go away. Just building a different culture is going to make it go away because we don't feed it anymore. Just don't feed it. Right. No, that's absolutely true. Everything else. It's like everything else in the in the in the world. The second you start making these people. Uh, famous or influential with their negativity, there's more people are going to want to join in. Let's, let's, let's really revere the people that are out there uh, changing the culture for in a positive way. And when it just by doing it, just by being positive. Absolutely. I think that is the most excellent advice. Yep. (laughs) And we'll, we'll start right here, right? (laughs) 
Yep. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you. That's why well, I'm so appreciative uh, you, for your questions and and for being able to um, be part of that conversation. Yeah. yeah. I'm really. Well, it, and, it, and it is the long game. It's not something that's going to uh, change yeah. overnight. It's definitely the long game. But but you're absolutely right that if, if we start, uh, we focus on on these small changes and, and changing the dialogue, then, uh, then it will, it will turn most definitely, I think. Mm. And the kid, you know, we just, we have to think that everything we say and all these things we do, it really has a big, big effect on the children. Yeah. But it really does. Yeah. And we want, we really want that horses in your young life. <laughs> that's, there is just no better teacher. No. no. Yeah. <laughs> let's let them, let's let them have that experience. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. And um, I really, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your perspective and your mindset and all of that and your breathing exercises that we all could improve on. I know that. Which I think yeah, both of us were it, probably doing while we were talking. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I was anyway, sitting here counting. <laughs> That's awesome. Practice our it. breathing. Practice our breathing. Yep. Okay. Aviva and I can remind each other of that. Did you practice your breathing exercises today? <laughs> Yeah, yes. I really do need to what, work on number that. Number one is just finding out which brings you the most peace. Right, right. Yep. So we'll work on that. But no, it's And it might change over time, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Well, we and certainly... One, one other thing, but to a second, sorry, didn't mean sure. to interrupt you. Go ahead. Um, when you hold your breath at the top, one of my... Tai Chi instructors, open your throat. So you know how you can constrict your throat and hold your breath? You want to hold your breath by, with your diaphragm, not with the top of your throat. And it's super important. Okay. I'm trying that right yeah, now. I'm trying. So, yeah. I'm trying that too. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Not good and for all of our all. listeners are at home right. trying it right now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but practice that too because that'll bring a lot of awareness to more to your diaphragm and more to your center and for us dressage riders, you know, down the into core. our core. <laughs> right. It, yep. Exactly. Damn core. <laughs> the core. It always comes back to that. <laughs> yeah. More right. leg. More. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Great. But well, thank you. Thank you so much for yeah. having me on. Thanks for spending time with us, Nancy. <laughs> your awesome questions. Yeah. Well, we appre we appreciate your awesome answers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. <laughs>